This is Crime Connections, and we are your hosts. I'm Leah. And I'm Jackie. Today's case is one that has been visited frequently over the years, but it's still not widely known by the public. Just within the last year or so, authorities have released additional information to try and spark interest in the case and gain more insight. This is the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Brian Schaefer was born on February 25, 1979, in Pickerington, Ohio. He graduated from high school in 1997 and continued his studies at The Ohio State University. After completing his undergrad, he went on to medical school at Ohio State in 2004. Brian was determined to become a doctor and be like his mom, who was a nurse, but he always joked and told friends and family his real dream was to start a band. He loved the band Pearl Jam, and he actually had their band logo tattooed on his upper right arm. On Friday, March 31st, 2006, around 9 p.m., Brian and his roommate William, he goes by Clint, Florence, decided to go out and wind down after a week of medical exams. It was right before spring break, so they wanted to let loose, have a good time. Brian had plans to travel to Miami, Florida the following Monday with his girlfriend Alexis for spring break. Oh, fun. They were both second-year medical students at Ohio State University. He called her around 10 p.m. while he was out with Clint and confirmed their travel plans for Florida. Alexis was actually traveling to Toledo to visit with her parents before leaving for vacation on Monday, and she was meeting up with Brian at the airport to head to Miami. So they were just confirming when they were going to see each other next, checking in, all that good stuff. Brian was looking forward to a break from his studies, and he was believed to have been planning a proposal over spring break. So nothing confirmed that. They never found any evidence of him getting a ring, but his father was very sure that Brian knew he wanted to spend his life with Alexis. So Mm -hmm. he was pretty confident that there was going to be a proposal over break. Brian lost his mother to bone cancer earlier that year, about three weeks, actually, before oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm, before this disappearance. So getting away to Miami for some sun and relaxation, I think, is really what he needed. The tickets to Miami were actually the very last Christmas present that Brian's mom purchased for him. Aww. So she knew she was dying. She was dying from bone cancer. And this was the last gift that she purchased for him was a trip to Miami for him and his girlfriend, Alexis. That's sweet. Mm-hmm. Brian and Clint decided to walk to a bar in the Gateway Complex near the university called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. That's cute. Yeah. This bar was on the second story of the complex, and it was one of those loud, flashy bars that was different from your typical sit-down bar. So they had live music a lot. It wasn't very big. It was kind of one of those cramped bars. Mm -hmm. But they had the cheap drinks. They had those big fishbowl drinks for like $5 that people would buy and drink all night that's the kind of bar it was yeah they had some shots and then they walked to the arena district the arena district in columbus is basically just where all the sports arenas are located they ended up at a bar called short north tavern and there they had a couple of drinks from that bar they walked to another bar called brothers wow they're bar hopping right after that they really wanted to end the night by listening to a band play back at the ugly tuna saluna but since it was a pretty long walk to go back clint called his friend meredith and asked her to pick them up and give them a ride so she picked them up and she accompanied them into the ugly tuna 
Security footage showed Brian, Clint, and Meredith all riding the escalator up to the bar's entrance. It was on the second floor of the building, and this was around 1.15 a.m. on a Friday night after exams, so it was pretty busy. Mm -hmm. I did watch a documentary about this case called Real Life Nightmare. There are multiple seasons, and there's actually one episode on Brian's case. I highly recommend watching it. It was very good, very in-depth. The documentary shows the security footage, and it shows Brian, Clint, and Meredith all seen smiling and having a good time. Security footage showed Brian at 1.55 a.m. walking out into the lobby area, kind of at the very top of the escalators, right outside of the bar. It was like a lobby area. And he was talking to two girls. They all seemed jovial and pleasant. There wasn't any arguing or anything like that. These girls were later interviewed at length, mm -hmm. and they never knew Brian. This was just a one-chance encounter. The very T first time they ever behavior. met him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to go out there and say these girls had nothing to do with um, any of the events that we're going to talk about later on. So then Brian is seen walking what looks like back toward the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and that is the last time that he is ever seen on camera. Which is crazy, because obviously mm -hmm. to enter and to leave, is there another exit? We're going to get into okay, that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm like, wait, yes. this doesn't make sense. The questions will begin. Clint and Meredith told authorities that Brian told them he was going to go talk to the band. So he got up from the table and he walked away. They didn't see or hear from Brian the rest of the night. Once the band was done playing and they were ready to leave because the bar was closing at 2 a.m., they looked for Brian and they tried calling him several times without any success. When they tried calling his cell phone, it went straight to voicemail. didn't even ring. They decided to leave, and they assumed that Brian was probably already on his way home. He was either walking home or he got a ride from somebody else. Saturday approached, and nobody was concerned that Brian was missing because at that time, they all just went home. They went their separate ways, and they believed that he made it home okay. Yeah. His girlfriend, Alexis, started to become a little bit more concerned because every time she tried calling Brian's phone, it went straight to voicemail and he never answered. On Sunday, April 2nd, 2006, Alexis left Toledo after visiting with her parents and she went straight to Brian's apartment to see if he was okay. Upon entering his apartment, she stated that everything looked to be exactly how Brian usually left it. It was neat and tidy, the bed was made, and nothing seemed to be out of place. The unusual thing, though, was that Brian's car was still parked outside his apartment, but he wasn't in his apartment. Hmm. Seeing this alarmed Alexis because she knew that Brian hadn't slept in his bed. His glasses were still on the nightstand, and it was very obvious that he had never been home. Yeah. Alexis called Brian's family and told them that something was wrong. The family felt the fear and urgency in her voice because that very night they went out searching for Brian. They looked in dumpsters. They went to places that he had last been seen. So and they instantly thought something was Yeah, they were instantly. Mm -hmm. They believed like maybe he, cr I mean, when you're drunk, you do very silly things. But they thought either, yeah, foul play had been involved or they thought maybe he crawled into a dumpster. I mean, it sounds so crazy, but when you're drunk... How crazy is it? Well, and also, during the interviews with the girls, do they mention ever, do you know, how drunk he was? Like, no, was so no he... one, I mean, no one really states how drunk he seemed because mm -hmm. he had been from the hours of like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. I mean, he had been drinking, but I don't think he was like 
throwing back shot after shot after shot from yeah, nine to two. It was kind of spread out and quite, I mean, yeah, five I hours. Mean, and I feel like typically not always, but men handle alcohol typically better mm-hmm. than a woman does. And so due to height and weight and all that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see, or I'm curious to know whether he was he drunk was? or he was just you know yeah a little tipsy and kind of feeling i want to say he was probably more like the tipsy feeling it like that feel good not like that you're out of drunk control, you're gonna like you could pass out on the side of the road yeah i think he probably felt good but he was drunk enough where everyone knew he shouldn't have been driving so nobody believed for one second that he had driven they mm-hmm. knew he had either walked or he got a ride back that's what yeah. their thoughts were But the family immediately had a horrible feeling that something bad had happened because all of this was just very uncharacteristic of Brian. Yeah. There was no activity on Brian's credit cards. Right away when somebody appears to be missing, I do believe that's the first thing that everyone looks at to try and like paint a clear picture of where they are, where they went, Mm -hmm. almost like a trail. And two, to look at surveillance videos, but uh, nothing was active. Before reporting Brian as a missing person, the family waited until Monday, so they waited one more day, to see if Brian showed up for his flight to Miami with Alexis. So just to remind you, his mom died three weeks prior, and that was really difficult for him. He was actually late to his own mother's funeral. He was having a really hard time losing her. They were very Mm. close. The whole reason he went to medical school to become a doctor was because that was what his mom wanted to do. It was kind of like her dream for him. Yeah. So they believed that there could have been a chance that he, after all the stress of these exams and being in medical school, maybe he just kind of took a couple of days to like get away and he was just doing his own thing, kind of fell off the face of the earth, but he was going to come and make it to that flight and go to Miami with Alexis. Yeah. The flight came and went with no sign of Brian. Once that happened, Brian was officially reported missing and an investigation began. Randy, Brian's father, is the one that reported Brian missing, and he met authorities at Brian's apartment. Investigators started out by doing a 6 to 10 block canvas of the area around the Ugly Tuna Saluna. They went door to door. They asked people if they recognized Brian, if they heard anything or saw anything unusual. They were trying to find anyone that would have seen Brian at some point after leaving the Ugly Tuna. Mm Mm-hmm. Police checked sewer lines. They checked dumpsters in the areas. And this was one of the biggest cases that they had investigated. There were about 100 Columbus police officers involved. Which, that's amazing. Right off, yeah. Right off the rip. that were a, There were a lot of police officers involved in trying to find out what happened to Brian. Since Brian's disappearance, so as of now to date... Nothing of Brian's has ever been found. His clothing, his phone, wallet, keys, shoes, etc. No personal belongings, no trace of anything has been found to this day. That's crazy. Yeah. Brandy Schaefer, like any parent, was on top of making sure that there were missing person flyers covering every inch of Columbus. So every day, he passed out flyers, telephone poles. You saw Brian's face everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the missing person photo, it was really smart, actually, how they put it together Brian had a period of time where he wore longer hair. He was into Pearl Jam. That's a rock band. They did multiple photos of him on the missing person, and we'll post it. So the original one, they had three different photos. The first one was him with long hair, him with medium length hair, and then how he looked when he disappeared. Yeah, so it was kind of smart. If If he did just kind of walk away, 
it was a good indication of what he would look like with any type of hair. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that just brings us up to, or that reminds me, I should say, to how they only use, for the JonBenet cases, they yeah. only used her dolled up. Yes. They never mm-hmm. used an everyday photo yeah. because, first of all, she's not dolled up. She's she was not. sleeping. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that's very smart. Yes, and that's... And that's mean, kind of like the first time I've ever heard someone doing that. Mm-hmm. Detectives focused on the Gateway Complex since it was the last place Brian was seen. The Gateway Complex in Columbus has a lot of different shops, some bars, restaurants, there's even a movie theater. Mm. It kind of reminds me of anyone that's familiar with Cleveland area. It reminds me of Crocker Park. You can find a little bit of everything there. There's a movie theater, there's restaurants, there's bookstores, there's bars, Mm -hmm. there's all different types of... A little bit of everything. yeah. Yeah. There's even like a fountain you can take your kids to play in. It's kind of like that. It's just a very fun place for college kids to walk around. With it being so decent sized, though, there was a lot of ground to cover. Detectives reviewed all of the security footage that they could find. And one detective actually tracked every single person that he saw on this security footage. Wow. So he literally tracked every single person and would count them coming in, um, coming up on the escalator and then tracked them going down. By doing that, he was able to say with 100% certainty that Brian is seen entering the bar, but he is never seen leaving the bar. And it's very much, this was them kind of ruling out too, that he didn't leave the bar disguised as someone else because Mm -hmm. the detective would have picked up who's this random person that I didn't even see coming in. Yeah. So it kind of ruled that out. What's so alarming about this though is that there are cameras everywhere in this complex. And not a single camera has Brian leaving the bar or even leaving the complex. It's Ohio State University. It's one of the biggest universities in the United States. And there are cameras everywhere. And Mm -hmm. this isn't like back in the 90s. This is 2006. So it's cameras. They're Mm -hmm. everywhere, every inch. And he's not seen on a single one. Which then is like, what the actual... Yeah. Well, that was when detectives started to wonder if Brian did leave the bar, but it was he was either concealed, so foul play, or disguised when he did so. But he would have had to take a different exit than going down the escalator. Yes. Another questionable thing that detectives noticed, and this is just because I saw this in all of my research, there was a man seen on the surveillance video in an orange sweater. And he was constantly coming and going to and from the Ugly Tuna Saluna. He was seen multiple times going up the escalator and down, up and down, up and down, like five or six times. Was he like carrying anything? No. He was just walking up and down. Weird. Seeing this one person continuously show up on surveillance, it did convince detectives studying the footage to track him. The last time he was seen going down the escalator, he was actually right behind Brian's friends Clint and Meredith as they were leaving so police were very much kind of like we need to talk to this guy alerted yeah they were able to find him and question him and they found out that he was a taxi driver and he was hanging around that area to pick up some fares take people home he was ruled out as having anything to do with Brian's disappearance but it still just seems rather strange the coincidence of when he showed up on the footage and we're gonna get into all of the different theories and things that come up but just forewarning you, there are a lot of coincidences. There are a lot of theories. And just for for one case to have so many of them is kind of a lot. Yeah, the and ta- unfortunately, the more 
information you have, the more yeah, sometimes, people have an opinion. Yeah, sometimes more information is too much information, mm-hmm. and we kind of do get there. Detectives theorize that perhaps Brian's body was transported in a trash can after something happened to mm. him. This led police to search landfills and comb through areas to see if they found his body or any personal belongings of his. Another theory was that he was buried in the bar. So detectives took this... Buried in the bar? Yeah, like under floorboards or in the walls. Oh, I'm like, what is that? Yeah, well, because they never saw him leave. Mm -hmm. So it was like maybe he's still in this complex or in this bar and somebody's concealing his body in the floorboards and the walls or on the roof. Uh, detectives took this very seriously and they looked everywhere. They looked on the roof, under floorboards, in the walls. They found that the floors and the walls were all cement, so there was no way that and his body was hidden there. Yeah. So was there a chute or something, like a garbage chute? No. Hmm. That could make some sense. Um, with Also, another thing I think of, and this is very out there, so take this with a grain of salt, but, you know, he said he was going to go talk to the band Mm-hmm. And what is what do the band ha- what is they what do they carry in and out mm-hmm. ginormous? We get into that too. There are so many yeah. theories. Like literally, that's where my fir- my yeah. first thought is the band they carry those I pr- ginormous yep. cases. Yep. You could have easily put a body in there. I promise you, every theory that you put in your head, we're probably going to discuss. That's I crazy. I doubt that there is a theory that won't kind of be mentioned in here. Mm-hmm. Because when someone just up and disappears, all you have is to theorize. Yes. So the case ran into multiple dead ends very quickly. It did not make sense how a person could just vanish from a relatively small bar into thin air and not a single witness was coming forward with any useful information. The Schaefer family went forward actually with hiring a private investigator once it seemed that detectives were having trouble progressing in the case. I, for one, would do the same if it were my child and there was... No evidence. And I would want everybody involved. They don't Everyone. have to follow the, the law. law. Exactly. Yeah. Not saying that they should break the law like a, yeah. a terribly. But, but they, they have a little bit more leniency. For sure. A little bit more reach. And also people are sometimes more willing to talk to a non-cop than a cop. Yeah. Well, and they have more time. Mm-hmm. You know, police departments, they have to serve and protect all citizens, at least a private investigator, that can be the only thing they focus on. This private investigator took a lot of time walking in and around the ugly Tuna Saluna, familiarizing himself kind of with Brian's last steps. He took note of the surveillance camera that picked up Brian Schaefer coming up the escalator and then later standing out in the lobby. He walked up and down steps. He went in and out various entrances and started trying to answer the question of how Brian was able to disappear without a trace. The private investigator was never concerned that something bad had happened to Brian. His reasoning for this is because in the surveillance footage, there are Columbus police officers clearly seen standing at the top of the escalators. It would have been, in his opinion, too much of a risk for anyone to do anything to Brian or even for Brian to try and sneak out. So basically what the investigator is saying that is if something did happen to Brian, it didn't happen to him at the ugly tuna. Yeah, it would have it could have happened outside of the bar, but it didn't happen there. But why wasn't he seen on any cameras? But moving on, literally though, <laughs> this leads to the theory that Brian left the ugly tuna through the fire escape. 
The fire escape was an emergency exit from the bar that led out right near the main doors that Brian walked through to get to the escalator to go up to the bar. There were no cameras focused on the fire escape. But surveillance cameras are right there in the courtyard, kind of outside of where it led. So there's almost like one small blind spot. Mm -hmm. But then in order to kind of come into the courtyard complex, there's surveillance. And he wasn't picked up on any of those. He could have figured out a way to kind of like manipulate, you know what I mean? He could have disguised himself when he came down the fire escape. He could have quickly disguised himself and then walked They don't have anything on surveillance cameras proving that or showing that. But that was another theory is that he went down the fire escape. With a case. Yeah, but. I I just. Like, my thing is, is one, if he really was drunk Mm -hmm. or tipsy, would he have been able to think of, oh, this is where the surveillance camera is. I don't want to be seen. So let me jimmy myself this way to not be in the you know what i'm saying right is he really thinking that far ahead well there are theories too of how drunk was he if this was if this was a case of him trying to leave on his own accord was he like faking it the whole night exactly because clint who he was with he drank a lot so he can attest for how much he drank and he kind of thinks he knows how much brian was drinking but it's never known with 100% certainty how much he actually drank. Yeah. So he might not have been very drunk. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of leading into that theory that he planned this. With a case like this, though, rumors and theories are flying around because that's all they have. Yeah. There was a rumor that he left the bar by jumping from the second story balcony. He was six foot two. But everyone, and myself included, believes that somebody would have seen a man jumping from a second story balcony. It was 100%. a Friday night. College kids were out. Exams were done. It was right before spring break. There's no way that he would have jumped and not a single person would have been like, oh, wow, that was kind of crazy. That really tall guy jumped from that second story balcony. And well, do, it would have been do they seen mean on cameras. He jumped from like one building to another? No, like down onto the into the courtyard. So there were um, it was, he, there was a balcony. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I highly doubt that. Yeah, so they say that his height would have made it possible for him because he was taller, but somebody would have seen a man jumping from a balcony of a crowded courtyard area. The next step was interviewing the band. Considering that Brian had mentioned to his friends that he was going to go talk to them, um, the detectives believed that they needed to talk to the band to see if they had talked to Brian or seen him because the band used a service elevator to get to the room where their equipment was being stored. So when you walk out of the ugly tuna to go down the escalator, if you would go to the right, again, there's surveillance cameras there, but there is a service elevator and there's almost like a hallway that kind of leads to some businesses. Mm -hmm. So they talked to the band trying to see if maybe Brian had left with the band. That's how the band came in and out and see if maybe he had used that route. The band never talked to Brian that night. They never saw Brian. They didn't even recognize who he was. So he never did go speak to the band. Mm. And surveillance never showed him going down towards the service elevator. Also, realistically, how the F would they get away with killing someone when they just, they performed a whole entire show. They have to clean up all their stuff. And then like, but again, it's it's a theory. Right. Still a theory though. For sure. 
Once these theories and rumors were exhausted early on in the investigation, detectives started to focus more on the timeline of the events. Brian is seen in the lobby talking to two girls at 1.55 a.m., and the ugly tuna saluna is closing at 2 a.m. That's yes, only that's a five-minute window. window that they are trying. I was thinking that because they weren't yeah. in there the second time for mm-hmm. very long. Nope. Because they got there at like 1... 1. 1.15. 15. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. They were there for about 45 minutes. So that five-minute window is what detectives are left trying to determine what could have happened to Brian Schaefer. Was he being followed? Did something happen inside the bar that nobody else had seen or heard? These are questions that they start trying to ask and figure out. Yeah. Detectives started to look more into the theory that Brian left on his own accord because foul play just didn't really seem to be adding up. They started to look behind the scenes and try to see if there was a reason or reasons why Brian would want to walk away from his seemingly great life. On the surface, Brian had an idyllic life. His family loved him. They were very close. He was in medical school in the top 10% of his class on his way to becoming a doctor. But behind the scenes, Brian had just lost his mother three weeks prior to his disappearance. She had battled cancer for a long time. And on top of that stress, he had medical school. So it all could have taken a toll on him. And some people do theorize that after his mother passed away, Brian didn't feel the need as much anymore to become a doctor because that was his mother's dream. And now his mother wasn't there anymore. So it is theorized that maybe he felt as though he didn't have to do it anymore. Well, and he could have snapped, you know, like everyone has a breaking point. Mm -hmm. So this is when detectives really started piecing together that Brian was acting unusual leading up to his disappearance. The night of his disappearance, he started by going to dinner that evening at Outback Steakhouse with his dad. And he also extended the invitation to his brother. He spent the evening with his roommate, and he made sure to call his girlfriend, Alexis. It's theorized that he was trying to make contact with everyone that he cared for that evening, almost like a final goodbye without saying goodbye. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think. That's why he kind of randomly wanted to have dinner with his dad and his brother. Investigators started looking into this theory and determining if Brian even had the means to disappear without a trace. The first step was seeing if Brian had the money to execute this plan. Being in medical school usually means a lot of school loans. Mm -hmm. So what money do you have? But they found out that Brian's mother was making a lot of the school payments for Brian. So he had barely any debt. Mm. This meant that he would have possibly had enough money to disappear. Wow. But on that note, Brian had not received the portion of his mother's life insurance policy yet, which was close to $20,000. Hmm. I know some people say when a loved one passes away, life insurance, money, all of that, it doesn't mean anything. They don't want it. They don't care. It doesn't bring the person back. So it's very possible that he didn't even care that he didn't get this money. It meant nothing to him. Randy Schaefer, Brian's father, had given Brian a tuition check for $4,500 for the next semester, but that check was never turned into Ohio State. It's never been cashed, Oh, but it was never turned in. It could have been a simple oversight on Brian's part. That's true. But a lot of people wonder, did he not turn it in because he knew he wasn't coming back? So he didn't want to do that to his father and have that money taken out because we all know how colleges don't give money back. They would never. (laughs) They'd be like, oh, sorry. 
this is the fee for him canceling last minute. Yes. Some stupid. So they, he knew he wasn't going to go back, so he didn't even turn it in. And that check's never been found, and it was never cashed. Weird. Detectives, family, and private investigators explored literally every avenue trying to determine what could have happened to Brian. Upon questioning individuals about Brian, detectives did spend time questioning Brian's roommate, Clint, because Clint was the last person, one of the last people, to see Brian alive, or just see him in general. Yeah. When approached to take a polygraph test, Clint hired an attorney and was advised against taking it, which we all know. Usually they say no. Yeah. Brian's dad took a polygraph test, and so did Brian's friend Meredith, who was with him as well at the Ugly Tuna. And they both passed the polygraph. Detectives then summoned Clint to be questioned by a grand jury. And again, under the advice of his attorney, Clint declined to answer the questions. So that's where it just, it got a little suspicious. Yeah, that's I mean, this like... is your roommate, one of your best friends, and you aren't willing to answer any questions that detectives might have. I can see why it looks suspicious. If he has nothing to hide and he wants to help, why wouldn't he just answer the questions? Yeah. But I also see the other side where he didn't do anything wrong. And I guess maybe he's concerned about what doing all of this could mean for him. Mm-hmm. He was acting under the advice of an attorney. So really, he was just doing what he was told. Yeah. Clint has never been named a suspect in Brian's disappearance, though. The private investigator that the Schaefers had hired stated that Clint's attorney actually emailed him a letter claiming that Brian was alive and that Brian was responsible for all of the heartache and turmoil being caused by his disappearance. The attorney even went on to claim that investigators told him that Brian was alive and out there. But detectives on the case said that they no one talked to Clint's attorney. No one told Clint's attorney that Brian is alive and out there and that's that that's what they believe. More weird. So it does kind like, of where does that come from then? Like why did he just pull that out of his butt to say, Hey, yeah. We talked to them and this is what they like that's just a real It does go to beg the question, does Clint have information and he swore to Brian he wouldn't share it? We don't know. He won't talk to anyone. He's declined to do interviews. He's declined to talk to literally anyone about Brian's disappearance. Weird. So the next big part of this case came in May of 2006. So he disappeared April 1st, 2006. So now we're going forward to May of 2006. Brian's apartment was broken into. And by the time Columbus police made it to the scene, the burglar was gone and was never found. It's theorized that perhaps somebody broke into this apartment to cover up any sign of foul play that could have been led back to them. Like like as the murderer. yeah. Yeah. There's hardly any information released about the burglary. So I don't know if something was missing or if there were things misplaced or things were unturned. I don't know. They have not put any of that out. That's crazy. But again, it's another coincidence that has happened that makes you just kind of... Well, and are people theorizing that it was him? Clint? There is that theory out there that something happened. A lot of people say no because Clint was is... He was so close to Brian. They were such good friends. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Not Clint. Brian. Are people theorizing that Brian is like alive and he broke into his own apartment? Yeah. That's that's a theory because he's never been caught. And again, there's not much information on what happened with the burglary. Mm -hmm. But that's another And I'm wondering, did they go, when he disappeared, did they go to his house and take photos Mm -hmm. to remember what the house looks like? 
They did because his dad, Randy, when he filed the missing person, police met Randy at his apartment okay. and went into his apartment and took photos, evidence, all of that. Okay, good. Because I was going to say, obviously, to know something's missing without having the mm-hmm. owner of the house, yeah. apartment, whatever, it's hard to know what's missing and what's not. Yeah. But they've never come out and said, oh, someone broke in and stole this or moved to that. So we don't know. Yeah. It wouldn't be until September of 2006 that a new clue kind of reignites the case. So oh. six months later, every night Alexis would call Brian's phone just for it to go straight to voicemail. But still, every night she dialed his number and she tried calling him and getting a hold of him. On September 8, 2006, Alexis made her nightly phone call. This time, though, the phone started ringing. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. The phone was pinging off of a cell phone tower in Hilliard, Ohio, which is not a very far distance from where Brian was last seen. Hilliard is literally right outside of Columbus. Detectives did a thorough search of the area, and they were unable to uncover any new tips or leads. When detectives called the phone company and asked what could have happened, the engineers explained that it was most likely just a glitch. A glitch. How how is that a glitch? We're getting there. The phone tower was so busy that when Alexis called Brian, instead of it just going straight to voicemail, it rang to the next closest phone tower before sending it to voicemail. They're basically saying because the one phone tower near her was busy, it pinged her to another one. So during that time that it was pinging her, it just was ringing. Hmm. I've never heard of that. I know next to nothing about technology. I just want to put that out there. I don't know the inner workings of it. I know enough to get by. But if I were calling a phone every night and it always went to voicemail without fail and it just happened to ring randomly one time and they told me it was just a glitch, I wouldn't believe it. No, I wouldn't. And that wouldn't be good enough for me. But if we have any tech savvy listeners out there, please shed some light on this for us because I have a really hard time understanding how the phone rings after not ringing at all for six months mm-hmm. and it's just you're telling me that glitch. glitch only happened once yeah throughout six months mm-hmm. i just don't yeah i don't believe so that. that is where some people theorize too though that does the murderer have his phone and happen to turn on the phone at that exact time alexis was calling could it have been brian the phone was charged and then uh she tried calling and he happened to have it on there's just by accident or yeah, yeah. Detectives and investigators also had to look ahead and try thinking what could have happened to Brian had he left the bar without being seen by any security footage. So now they're saying, okay, he got out of the bar. We don't know where he went or how he got out, but let's say he got out without being seen. Was it possible that he was met with foul play on his walk back to his apartment? During this time, crime was high in Columbus, Ohio. There was a lot of crime committed in that area. But again, it's really hard for people and investigators alike to think that this happened without any of his personal belongings showing up at some point in time. Somewhere. And that nobody would have seen or heard anything because, again, it's a Friday night. It's only 2 a.m. That's still pretty early for some people that are out. And his apartment was only... (laughs) For for the crazies. (laughs) For the the younger ones. (laughs) His apartment was only a couple miles from 
the ugly tuna. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he, and he lived in a college town. It was very populated. There were probably house parties going on. There oh, were probably yeah. a lot of, there was probably a lot of activity. Which is unfortunate for the detectives because mm-hmm. that just makes it harder and harder. Yeah. Brian's case was then linked to the smiley face killer. I, I'm sure not a lot of people are familiar with that case. I'm not very familiar with it either. I'm definitely going to cover it at some point. But it's where young men at that time were being abducted from bars and then dumped into bodies of water. Oh, yeah, I've never heard of this. Brian's case is eerily similar to the other victims, his disappearance. But the difference is his body was never found in a body of water. His body has never been found. And with the smiley face killer, a body is usually always found. And then there's a smiley face found nearby where the victim's body is found. Do you think, though, his body was not found by accident? It's very possible. Detectives don't believe that Brian was a victim of this killer. But there again, just like with every theory... They can't say with 100% certainty that this didn't happen. Well, yeah, because unfortunately they can't say Mm-mm. literally anything because they there's no body, there's no yep. evidence of him leaving, there's nothing. So this is another theory that kind of begs the question. It Because it, I, do, I can say with the smiley face killers, one thing that they mentioned in the documentary is that every victim always became separated from his group. So Brian was separated from Clinton Meredith. To go talk to the band, yeah. Yes. And every victim was last seen just kind of it just disappeared. So it's very similar to the what surrounds Brian's case. But people don't believe that he was a victim. But there again, though, you don't know because we haven't found a body. For sure. In September of 2008, Randy Schaefer, Brian's father was killed by a tree branch falling off of a tree after a horrible windstorm had hit Columbus, Ohio. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And Brian, I don't think I mentioned it before, but Brian does have a brother named Derek. So his poor brother loses his mom, his brother, now his, his dad. dad. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. There was an obituary online for Randy and you could leave comments talking about Randy and saying things, words of encouragement for the family. And there was a comment from somebody claiming to be Brian saying, I love you, Dad. Love, Brian. Detectives traced the comment to a public computer in Franklin County, which is in Columbus. It wasn't very far. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't find any information who was on the computer that day. And there was no security footage from that day. What? Right. The so they can't hell? rule out they can't rule out if it was a hoax or if it actually was Brian. That There's is no crazy. way. So mm-hmm. hold up. Was the public computer, do you mean by is it was it a library? Yes. Was it was that in a library on a public computer? Did did they not have a sign up sheet? Mm-mm. Because I know at our library, you have there's to sign no, up. There's no information on who was on the computer that day. And the security footage from that day just very mysteriously was brian secretly really good with technology everyone like computers and everyone things? says he was very intelligent everyone says that if he wanted to just walk away from his life he would have been smart enough to do so he was i mean he was in medical school he was gonna become a doctor that well, takes some smarts <laughs> realize this is before smartphones it is yeah and 
I feel like nowadays there wasn't it's a, lot a lot of texting. Yeah, it's a lot harder to get away with things. Yep. Than yeah. it was then. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is where the case stalls. Investigators recently in 2021 released an age progression sketch of what Brian would look like now in hopes to spark interest in the case. And that's when the documentary was also released. There are a lot of people that believe Brian just simply walked away from his life. They don't believe foul play happened. His family adamantly believes that there was foul play. But Which people, makes sense because yeah. I mean, you don't want to ever believe that your daughter or son or your family member would just, would leave. just leave. Yeah. But a lot of people have said that have come out. I mean, there are a lot of you know podcast episodes and documentaries and interviews where people do believe that it all just became too much. It's unfortunate because Brian seemed like such a force to be reckoned with. He was smart, kind, ambitious. Reading about his life and hearing what some people have said does also lead me to believe that he walked away from his life willingly. The stress of losing his mom could have been the breaking point. Mm -hmm. Often, he would refer to his career on MySpace. So we're going back to the MySpace days. He would put on his MySpace page that his career as a doctor was temporary and that his dream was to spend his life as a beach bum. So that he would so come weird. out and say, yeah, being a doctor is going to be great and all, but that's not my goal in life. I want to just live on a beach and be a beach bum. So people are like speculating he moved to like a beachy yeah. town. Yeah, I think it's more likely that Brian planned his disappearance and that he's still alive. There's just not enough evidence that points to foul play. People they do go missing without a trace, and eventually their bodies are found, and it's such a tragedy. But there is usually some type of evidence leading up to that foul play. Or there's evidence that they were kidnapped or something bad had happened. But he, Brian literally vanished before everybody's eyes. And with how heavily populated Columbus, Ohio is, especially right after exams, right before spring break, while it wouldn't have been hard for Brian to disappear into the crowd... I think that it would have been a lot harder for people to disguise his body and disguise something happening to him. Yeah. Especially with his height. Yeah, he's you know, six like, foot he's, like, he's, he's a not, big guy. It's not like this small little thing that you could yeah. cover. You know, yeah. So, and to say that on his way home, there was foul play committed, I mean, it just would have had to have been very quick, very fast, and not a single person heard or saw a single thing. But then there was never another crime like that committed. There was never another murder or crime of that nature uh, to uh, like against a that college related, student. Yeah. yeah. So it just, I don't believe that it was just random foul play. In the last couple of years, people have been sharing pictures of who they think is Brian Schaefer, and there was one picture of a homeless man in Tijuana that sparked a ton of interest. He had a lot of the same similarities that Brian did. Their noses looked broken in the same spot, and their ears were positioned the same, so Brian's ears were positioned a little odd. Off. But after a lot of thorough analysis, it proved that it wasn't Brian, and that was kind of like it took the wind out of everybody's sails because they thought for sure that this it was, man. Yeah. And it fit everything Tijuana you know where it's beautiful it's sunny detectives from the case 
have been asked their opinion many times, and their answer is always the same. Brian could still be alive out there, but it's also very probable that he's not alive. Mm -hmm. A theory from the detectives was that Brian could have either fallen in or climbed into one of the dumpsters in his drunken stupor, or he was placed there by foul play. Someone had murdered him. The dumpsters that were located in the arena area where he was at, they were privately contracted, and the contents from those dumpsters were taken to a landfill in Tennessee. Oh. The problem with all of that is that those dumpsters were emptied on Monday before he was officially reported mm-hmm. as a missing person. And there's no surveillance back there? Uh-uh. Oh, shoot. I think there is some, but it just shows the contents being dumped. So police did go look at the landfill in Tennessee, but by the time they got there, it, so many other um, dumpsters had been, or so many other trucks, garbage trucks had come and mm-hmm. dumped their contents. So it would have been impossible for them to find anything. And if that it did happen, if it was foul play and he was put in one of those dumpsters, they will never find him. They have come out and said that if that is what happened, they will never find his body or anything that belonged to him. That's crazy. Brian's former girlfriend, Alexis, did have to find a way to move on without any closure as to what happened to Brian. She is one that has, throughout the years, has adamantly stated that she does not believe he walked away from his life and that there was foul play involved and that he was murdered. She did give an interview in 2016, and it was revealed that now she is married and the mother of two boys but that her heart is still very heavy with the disappearance of Brian. Brian's brother Derek has said, Every day I think about my brother and wish that someone would come forward with answers. I will always stay hopeful for a miracle that he will be found alive and well, but as time passes that hope fades. If anyone knows anything, please come forward to end this daily agony for me and my family. My heart breaks for him because like we stated earlier, he lost a mother and then his brother disappeared and then he lost his father. Now it's just him. Yeah, like his whole entire family is gone. And I can see how it's really hard for the family to believe that he would just walk away from them. And then after all this time, so after his father dying, yeah, like not come think- forward and say, hey, guys, I'm really sorry. But it was all I just needed to get away. But I'm here. I'm alive. I'm well. And And I get that. But then on the other token, though, sometimes and people with mental health, again, you like you said, people break. Mm -hmm. They hit a breaking point. They just snap. There could have been something going on mentally that was. Well, yeah, even, you know, schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that doesn't happen for like quite some time in your life. Like And it's brought on by stress. Mm -hmm. And he lost his mother, one of his best friends. And. It's just it's so. It's, I mean, it could it could be very well something like that. And schizophrenia yeah. unmedicated is a dangerous game. Yes. So it's very it's very scary. It's very heartbreaking. Columbus police state that Brian's case is still active and ongoing. They do receive tips from time to time, and they follow up on them accordingly. And they're encouraging anyone that has any information to come forward and share what they might know. Sadly, on April 8, 2013, Brian was legally declared dead by the courts in order to free up his assets. His brother Derek was trying to gain access to Only his assets. Only seven years? Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Brian has a Pearl Jam tattoo on his right upper arm, and he has a dot on his left eye iris. So those are things on like the missing poster boards that people have used as identifiers too. If you've seen someone that fits that, that appearance, has that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end of it. That's the end of the kind of very complex and crazy case of the disappearance mm-hmm. of Brian Schaefer. It's crazy. I don't even know what to think. I don't know if he, because the whole, I can't. I so first I was thinking he definitely was killed. Someone killed mm-hmm. him, and somehow they got him out. Mm-hmm. It could have been a worker going through a back entrance. It could have been something along the lines of that. Or there's someone that knew of these back entrances that well, didn't have surveillance. Well, the manager knew of the fire escape. And the manager said there was no way that anyone could have walked out of that fire escape. I'm assuming there might have been an alarm that was triggered. Most of the windows do have those alarms. Yeah. So if there is a fire and you lift it, it like, the alarm goes yeah. off. But it's never stated definitively if there was an alarm that would have been triggered. The mm-hmm. manager just said, no, I we would have seen it. No one went out that escape. I still think that he figured out a way to either go down the fire escape or he did find a way to disguise himself and leave the bar and he just wasn't picked up on surveillance or they missed it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't see how he would have been able, there would have been foul play inside the bar. And the bathroom too just noted their bathroom was a, like it was a unisex bathroom. There was just one bathroom and it was one stall. So if something had happened in that bathroom, it would have been seen or heard. Mm-hmm. And in that five-minute window, I, the only theory I could yeah, think of with that is, window. yeah, like oh, in five minutes he walked from the lobby to the bathroom, he was killed, and then no one heard or saw anything after that. Yeah. So that's just where that and gets very. I just can't get over the the note uh, on his dad's obituary Mm -hmm. like that's effing wild it is and it's very hopefully you don't you hope it's not a cruel joke i mean people are cruel and so it's very possible that somebody did put that out there but when randy schaefer passed away it wasn't this like big huge to do it didn't it wasn't um heavily broadcasted reported reported, thank you so for people to find the obituary and then specifically comment on it as like a cruel joke yeah it's a very far stretch but it's also a far stretch that it could have been brian yeah i don't know that whole that whole thing is crazy and my thing is were they because like do they take it to the next step of was there surveillance outside of the library did they see who you know what i mean there was no none of it was working they think because of the storm a lot of surveillance was very glitchy after that be, and I, again, I'm from Toledo. I'm not from Columbus. I don't remember a huge windstorm hitting that area after, I think it was Hurricane Ike. So I don't remember any of that. But it was a very big deal in Columbus at that time in 2008 because it caused a lot of damage to a lot yeah. of homes. And it, I think there were a few people that had lost their lives during that. So it's very possible that surveillance was and not... It, if it was a smaller town, which is it a smaller town or is it just a suburb? It's like a suburb of Columbus. So it's probably big. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's I a don't big know. area all around. Yeah. So that's just, that's my theory. My theory is that the only way that there would have been foul play involved is if it were literally in the bathroom 
within a couple of minutes and then somehow his body was concealed and then quickly moved before workers could find it. To counteract with that, you have to remember, one, there's a live band. This building is not very large. It's probably loud, 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 loud in that building but the, with a live band. But the band was done playing. The whole time? The band was done playing. Do you think they at, instantly play music, though, after the band? Probably. Like, well, they, they closed. So the band quit playing around, like, that 1.55 mark. And then at 2 a.m., the the bar was closing. They were telling everyone to leave. The band was closing everything up. It, there was no music playing. And that was when Meredith had tried calling Brian to see where he was because they were leaving. They were going down the escalator. And at 2.01 is when she called him and his phone went directly to voicemail. And then you can see her and Clint like two minutes later going down the escalator to leave. I'm surprised they didn't go look for him like in the bathroom. I think they just assumed that he had left. I mean, they probably walked around the bar a little and looked. But everywhere that I read... People ruled out the bathroom as being anything that could have been yeah. dealt with. But it's just so many. It's just so weird. And There's the ugly tuna saluna is no longer in business. It's closed now. It's over the years it has closed. Dang, so it's not even. It's not even there. I don't even know what's in its place right now. I just know that it the um, documentary it stated that it's closed. It's no longer open for business. So. Mm. If you have any information about Brian Schaefer's disappearance, please call the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers tip line at 1-877-645-TIPS. As always, thank you for listening to Crime Connections. If you so kindly would please follow, share, and go like us on Facebook at Crime Connections or follow us on Instagram at Crime Connections Pod. If you have any news, tips, or cases you want us to look into or any information on technology in this case (laughs) please feel free to email or dm us we love hearing from you guys thanks thanks guys